From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Welcome to Travel First with Chris Coleman and Alex First. Welcome to Travel First. My name is Alex First and I am joined by... The gracious man, Chris Coleman. Hello, Christopher. Greetings to you, Alex. I've been looking forward to recording this edition of Travel First. For you, we are going to a city where I have not only visited, I have lived there. Now, it was a long time ago, but I lived there for a good three years. Were you a wee youth in London or I, were you somebody who was fully fledged as an adult? I was but a callow youth, but I do remember London fondly and indeed at one stage used to know my way around the London Underground far better than I did around the cities of Melbourne or Sydney. London's Underground is just marvellous. I love London. I could well imagine living there for a period of years. In fact, I, I've... If I was independently wealthy, I reckon I might spend six months of the year there and six months of the year in Australia because there's so much to see and do. I love the architecture. I reckon it's very close to the top, if not the top, probably is the top of my list of destinations that are well, well, well worth spending a considerable time in. I Don't you, don't you love the way that London's been put together, notwithstanding the fact that you sort of, because there's so much traffic, you've got to allow yourself a reasonable amount of time to get across town, for example. I think London is a fabulous city. I mean, it is it is probably the world's first city. I, I think Rome might argue the toss on that, but I think London is just the place to go. Oh, undoubtedly. Uh, undoubtedly. I mean, I think Rome's magnificent, don't get me wrong, but I, I think if you speak English and you... I mean, look, most people throughout Europe speak many languages so i did not have any real difficulty communicating with other people but there's something about what i call the mother country i mean you know lots of us were our, our forebears were transported were they not and therefore there is some strong connection and i i i, I love the fact that I know that eventually we'll probably go down the, the path of becoming a republic, etc. But there's still something about visiting the gates of Buckingham Palace and seeing seeing the changing of, of the guard and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, tradition, call it what you will. I, I very much enjoyed it with my wife. What we did is we caught a Qantas flight. We were in Dubai and we went from Dubai to London. Now, that flight was less than eight hours and we landed at the main airport, and there's quite a number of them, of course, at Heathrow at 2.45 in the afternoon. And because it was a business class trip with Qantas that we were taking, there is an arrangement in London where a chauffeur picks you up, which I thought was a very, very nice thing when you sort of have been on a, on a flight of around about the seven to eight hour mark. And this chauffeur-driven E-class Mercedes 
picked us up and took us to our hotel, which was the Montague on Gardens in Bloomsbury. Even the names of the hotels are <laughs> fashionable. I, I, Very, very nice indeed. Now, it's a charming three-storey boutique hotel with red twinkling Christmas lights on its exterior entrance because we were there in December. And it's got old world charm on the inside. For all intents and purposes, Chris, it's like a chalet that you'd see in the Swiss Alps, although it's in the middle of London. Uh, so it, is this the one that's got... Oh, I know you're going to tell us a lot about it, but I, I, I have a recollection this is the one that has a nice little outdoor area as well. Indeed. Indeed it does. And, and they've made very, very good use of space. It was built in 1804, and it's one of six boutique London hotels owned by the Red Carnation Group. We also stayed at the Rubens on Buckingham Palace Road, which is another of those six properties I've just mentioned. So it's got 100 rooms, caters for between one and four people, and each room has been individually decorated. So that's rather special. You can stay there 100 times and you would get different fabrics and so on and so forth. Lots of rich fabrics in both the lounge areas and the rooms, predominantly red and tartan and cream. So there you go. But, you know, individual decorations within the rooms, we're talking about different sofas and things of that nature. It's got a herb garden. It's got small and large conservatories. Of course it has. A cocktail bar and a terrace adjacent to the cocktail bar, which overlooks, now wait for this, the private gardens of the Duke of Bedford. So that's... Where else can you say that you've overlooked somebody's private gardens? Was the Duke there? When when I looked, the Duke was out for the evening. Okay. Uh, but, but in the evening, it becomes a cigar terrace. And the general manager tells me or told me that the cigar bars are growing in popularity in London, even though I'm certainly not condoning smoking. Yeah, it is. Seriously, it's a big attraction for some people. Now, as you know, Alex, I used to smoke. Mm -hmm. so you, uh, I will say this here and now. Smoking is incredibly bad for you. Everything about smoking, other than the fact that it's bad for you, is actually quite awesome. But, you know... <laughs> oh, now, don't... Now, now, be very careful, sir. Be very careful. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing because there are cigar bars... In Australia too, I believe, are there not? Yeah, I would love to go to a cigar bar. I used to love a cigar, but I know if I went to a cigar bar, I know what would happen. Mm. Uh, yes, so, so, so I, I appreciate them as a venue. I understand the concept, but it's just somewhere I can't go anymore. Yeah, fair and reasonable. That's 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 good. So, uh, out of mind, out of sight, all of mm. those sorts of things. There's also an outdoor area at the Montague on the Gardens, which you spoke about. It's a barbecue deck in summer. And during winter, it becomes a Swiss-style ski lodge featuring its own snowmaking machine. Which hotel wouldn't have its own snowmaking machine, Chris, in London? Well, they're all the rage, aren't they? They are all the rage. So, mm -hmm. that, that, look, that was my... It was a great introduction. I mean, you, you sort of turn up and you see this wonderful, wonderful venue and you think, oh, great, we're going to spend some time here. One of the things that we did in London is we moved around a lot. We spent a couple of nights here, a couple of nights there, so that I can talk to you about just the different aspects of accommodation in one of the greatest cities in the world. So that was, that was you know, we landed and then we sort of walked around the streets just to sort of get our, our sense of bearing. Now, one thing that, uh, there's, there's a couple of mentions that I will make. We were helped in London. There, was, there were two 
lots of people that I wanted to mention. Firstly, Creative Holidays in Australia, who organised a lot of the tours. They've got great connections, and I will sort of reveal all in a few moments about how that worked in our favour. The other thing is that you really do need to go to a website when you visit London that gives you so much, so much information. It's called Visit London, right? Visit London. Dot com. Wherever did they come up with the name? It, magnificent. Mm. And I will give you some other visit places in the not-too-distant future. If you hop on now while I'm speaking with you to visit London, one of the first things that comes up is the top ten of different places to visit. And it, it's great. They, they give you all sorts of itineraries, etc. So I'm on the website now, and the, there's the best of London. So immediately you see that on the right-hand side of the website. Best London tours, top 10 musicals, days out in London, things to do, traditional restaurant, London for kids. It's just wonderful because you don't have to orientate yourself through 16 layers before you get to what you want to do. Thought it was great. Day trips from London, top attractions, tickets and offers, and you know half-price tickets and, and things of that nature. It's a and website too that underscores just how London knows how to take the tourist trade. The, you know, it pops up there, and I'm seeing ads there for you know book a ticket for this from ten pounds. Go on your on your it lists your sightseeing tours. It just opens the door straight away. Absolutely for the tourist. And look, we had US dollars as well as Aussie dollars. And I mean, in round terms, you were in Aussie dollars, you were getting sort of about half of what I mean, one pound is, is sort of around about the two Australian dollar mark, something of that nature. That That's something. And yet, obviously, you've got to allow for slight differential from when you're traveling to when I traveled and 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 so on but give or take that's that's not a bad way of sort of calculating the Aussie dollar so you know one pound two Australian dollars one of the things that I did I wanted to have a telephone on me throughout our eight-week journey mm -hmm. and I'm with Optus now I pay for Optus like anybody else I'm not sort of suggesting you should go with Optus rather than one of the other uh, telephone providers but that gives you a system in what they class as zone one countries to make calls as if you were in Australia and it costs you $10 a day, right? That allows you to ring other zone one countries and it allows you to ring Australia and receive calls from Australia. And so it's a really great way of, of sort of minimising your phone costs if you want to sort of phone home or if you want to sort of check touristy things and speak to people like I was while we were on our, our European journey or sojourn. So that, that's great. I know, I know that one of the other providers, one of the other telephone companies, because a mate of mine was with them, or at the time he was with them, is only $5 a day. So just check it out. Depends on what you want to do, whether you want to get a phone card over there or, or whatever. I just found this a very easy, convenient thing to do. And you can book it for 30 days at a time. There's another thing that's happening more and more often too now, uh, yeah. and this is something that uh, uh, has happened for me for my forthcoming trip. I've made a booking through Airbnb. Yes. And the Airbnb people have said, would you like a SIM card that will work in your phone while you're overseas? Oh, lovely. And it's uh, it is actually an Optus SIM card. I'm with Optus as well. It's, yeah. with, uh, it's an Optus SIM card, but it's an Optus SIM card designed to give cheap calls from the United States back to Australia. Now, I haven't looked at the full details, but the, the card is sitting there amongst the pile of things that I need to do in the next few weeks before I head off. Excellent. So, so in a future edition, I'll review that. 
Okay, why not? The the one thing that I can say is I love the fact that it's limited to ten, $10 a day you're paying. I mean, fundamentally, I can make calls for a reasonably lengthy period of time and it's still only $10. So I don't have to check how much I've spent after each call. Mm. That's one of the... I, I'm, I must say that I'm on one of these plans that allows me to do that in Australia as well. And it's wonderful because, I mean, I'm not sure about you, but I probably spend the best part of one to two hours a day on the telephone. So it, it's beautiful. And it, it was, you know, the other charge that it gives people, I used to ring mates, right, and just say hi, not every day, but at, at least I could ring them a couple of times from London or Paris or Prague or whatever. And they, they were quite chuffed. That I'd take, you know, I'd bother to do so. This gives you that flexibility. Mm -hmm. So, what we did the first full day, we had a tour, a day long tour with Evan Evans, apparently the longest serving tour operator in London, called Majestic London. And this was arranged by Creative Holidays in Australia. And Evan Evans, just fabulous, really, really strong. Easy our to remember name, too. Yeah, absolutely. And our guide, whose name was Deborah, uh, mentioned to us that Evan Evans had been operating for something like 75 years. This was a year ago, so there you go. We were two of 17 guests in the morning and 11 in the afternoon. No, we didn't just lose six people. Some of them only wanted to do the the half-day or three-hour tour that finished at noon. So we started off as two of 17 guests, my wife and I. Most of the morning was spent... This was an orientation tour, shall we call it that, and we spent uh, most of the time on board the coach passing various London landmarks, including, and a lot of these are going to mean so much to you, Marble Arch, Kensington Palace, Harrods, with a stop to see Westminster Abbey. We we also, we uh, some somebody's calling me while we're doing a podcast. How rude. I was going to say, they can wait, can't they? They can. They can wait, yes, there we go. So, all right, so they, we, we passed... Westminster Abbey and Big Big Ben. By the way, did you read that Big Ben is going to get a facelift? Uh, it's due. It's it overdue. is due. Yeah. Yes, it is overdue. And and I mean, they're going to clean it and they're going to strip it down and they're going to improve it and all sorts of things like that because every now and again a big clock needs cleaning and and it needs repair. And I I read that in the past week and I thought, ah, going it, it, to London and not seeing Big Ben working isn't quite the London that I saw where that was that was one of the great things when I went to London. I really searched for Big Ben immediately and you see it, you cannot miss it. It is there. So folks, there'll be a slight slight if you're going I'm not sure when this starts, but it, it, they they give it a reasonable time frame. Uh, you you may have to excuse the locals because they're fixing up the clock to make it perfect again. It and is a process they've been going through in London and it's taken a long time. Obviously, London has so many historic landmarks and the problem mm -hmm. is a lot of these landmarks were made out of uh, marble or, or uh, another calcium-based rock, so another white, uh, a white stone. And yes. over the years, um, especially the years of coal-fired, uh, of coal heating in houses, and London had a lot of that, uh, and in the days pre-unleaded uh, petrol... Uh, the the what came out in exhaust pipes and what came out of chimneys it would just stick. So a lot of uh, buildings, St Paul's Cathedral is a classic example where it was just blackened all around. And so they they they, they had a massive cleaning program and they've been doing it for landmark after landmark. I think they did the London Monument, the Fire Monument, while I was there. 
right. if I remember rightly, and they've cleaned it off. And it's incredible the difference. If you see one before and after, so if you've been to London and you're going back, some of these landmarks will look considerably different because they've been cleaned. Uh, very good. Well, I've just uh, Googled an ITV report which says that Big Ben's bongs will soon be silenced as its gears grind to a halt. Oh, so and... they're doing the inside as well? Yes, 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 they are. It's going to be it, the Australian equivalent of around about $60 million, thank you, renovation project to repair the clock and the tower. So there you go. One of the mechanics is charged with painstakingly taking apart and rebuilding the London, London landmark. Wow. So, and, and it's, it starts at, ah, at the start of 2017. Gee, how it's they, 157 years old, by the way. How will and they cope at the start of the news at 10 on TV over there, which yeah. starts with the, the chimes of Big Ben if the chimes aren't going? No, well, I think maybe they'll fake it. But yeah, three years it's going to last. Fake so, on the news. And, and, but shame it, it, on you. Yeah, well, hey, having said that, it's, it, the chime won't not be there for three years, the double negative. It'll only be several months that you oh, okay. hear the chime. And, and they're going to repair cracks to the masonry, corrosion to the cast iron roof and belfry, and the frame which holds the bells, including Big Ben. So there you go. And uh, there's apparently parts of this great clock also require major repair. Dozens of the 312 pieces of glass making up the face will also be replaced. I'm looking at the photograph now. And I, I'm almost welling up because I love London so much and I love Big Ben. So that's all right. That's all right. It, it'll, it'll all be better. So don't, don't despair, folks. That, you so you may it. have noticed too, Alex, and I noticed you used the correct phrasing there, because Big Ben is actually the biggest bell. It is not the actual clock tower. Yes, indeed. Indeed, indeed. So, folks, that's Big Ben. Now, we, we, went, uh, the lo we, we stopped um, to see and witness the Royal Horse Guards Parade on this majestic London Day tour with Evan Evans. Why did we see the Horse Guards Parade? Not just because it was there. Well, I didn't know this when I went there, but the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace only happens every other day for eight months of the year. Did you know that? It didn't when I lived there. <laughs> No, 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 that, that, so it's That's a change. change. Yes, it has. Because when I was last in London, I also recollect, or my, my recollection is that it was each day. So, but rest, rest assured, I, I did go back to watch the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace, not on this tour. What I admired most, though, as I say, was this breathtaking historic British architecture. I just love it. Absolutely. The undoubted highlight was the of this particular day was the uninterrupted 360-degree bird's-eye view of London from the roof of St Paul's Cathedral. Have you done that? I, I did St Paul's Cathedral. I was, I reckon, eight or nine years old. And unfortunately, oh. on the day we got there, you know how it, it, the, the passageways, as you go up, get progressively smaller and smaller? Indeed. Yeah. The, by the time we got to near the top there were so many people trying to go up and down that there was a, a, a very lengthy wait for ah, us to go jam. all the way to the top. So we couldn't quite get right right up to the very top. We went almost to the top, uh, but, yeah, didn't quite get to go all the way to the top. Well, look, there are three narrow flights of winding staircases to get there, but well worth the effort. And St Paul's itself, of course, splendid, imposing, although... You can no longer take photographs inside, which, again, I could when I was last there quite some time ago. And, and why is that? Well, 
fear that modern photography and modern photographic techniques will lead to bleaching of sacred artworks. And, and again, I understand fully. This is one of those interesting discussion points because, yes, you're inclined at, at every juncture, and there's so much to see, as I said, in London and also elsewhere whenever you're travelling, that the first inclination you've got is to take out your camera and take lots of happy snaps. But if it's imposing itself on other people enjoying themselves and seeing what you're seeing, I can well understand why there are some impositions when it comes to indoor and, sort of, well, mainly indoor photography. And mm. so, so it is here. Now, we, we walked to Buckingham Palace to take some happy snaps before heading off for the afternoon part of our tour from Trafalgar Square. And obviously that wasn't the day, as I say, when there was the changing of the guard, but we still wanted to see Buck Palace. Now, a quick tour of the Tower of London and the Crown Jewels followed. Mighty impressive baubles and gold trinkets they are too, including, this was something I didn't expect to see, this massively beautiful carved plate and gold punch bowl, a metre in diameter. So this this bowl, how many people would would be drinking from its contents? It is huge. You've never, never been to a royal party, have you? I haven't been invited. I I, I would like to be though. Now now that if I've you've got seen... a meter wide punch bowl, it's not for drinking out of. It's for swimming in. Uh, thank you very much indeed. And there, there was also an exhibit. I, I mentioned a quick tour of the Tower of London. Uh, the the exhibit showcasing methods of torture that were popular in their day, uh, ghoulish but fascinating insight into man's inhumanity to man. So you know you go from gold trinkets to torture. But yes, I I don't know. There is this people really don't behave well on occasions, and uh, in the past that's certainly been so. So yeah, it was it was intriguing, shall we say? Mm. So so that was that. Now I should also say that we then went we went back and we, we, we had stopped off at Embankment Station. I love their, their underground system. I think it's fantastic. It's the best in the world. And the other thing is some of the places have delightful names and it's not till you get to the station perhaps you find out why it's called that. Embankment being a case in point. Yes, indeed. And and we got off and we I went down Oxford Street, again, a traditional street. The, the other thing about it is your a lot of the shops, not a lot, but some we are, you are familiar with. So uh, I, I had lost one of the arms on my glasses had come off. And, and silly me, I'd only taken one pair of glasses. So I went straight to a, well, Specsavers shop. And Specsavers, I believe, is London-based, but it's come to Australia, of course, and they fixed my glasses, which I thought was a very nice thing to do so that I could see for the rest of the trip. Always but handy on a sightseeing tour. Indeed, yeah. indeed. So we, when we found ourselves back at Trafalgar Square, lo and behold, we were there, it was sort of the Christmas time, and next to a large Christmas tree there were the Hanukkah lights. And I thought, this is good. Two religions absolutely coexisting and celebrating one another's religions almost. It was it was quite special, actually. We were there for the first night of Hanukkah. We, we sort of just happened to be there at the time. So th there was, there was you know, those two symbols of respective religions uh, sort of coexisting in, in perfect harmony. Not that they don't, but I, I thought this was a, an outward display of that. And, and basically we stayed for an hour or so because there were 
sort of Jewish songs that were being sung and played and a rabbi played a violin with increasing gusto and school children were performing and, and so on and so forth. And, and a number of the older school students talked about the meaning of the Hanukkah and the, the lights that you, uh, you sort of mark each night of Hanukkah with. So that was rather special. And I have that... a question about Trafalgar Square. Yes, please because do. I believe that Trafalgar Square has undergone a dramatic transformation since I lived in London. Because right. when, I, when I lived there, and it was one of the highlights for me as a, as a youngster. We would, and we, we did this several times. You would go to Trafalgar Square, you would mm. be able to get roasted chestnuts, and you yes. would buy and you would buy a small container of pigeon feed, and you would feed the pigeons, and the pigeons were there in their thousands, possibly tens of thousands. Mm -hmm. They don't want the pigeons there anymore, and they've they've actually ran a program over over a decade or more to. Uh, to scare the pigeons away, and they now nest in alternate parts of London. Is this true? Trafalgar Square is largely a pigeon-free zone? I did not notice pigeons. We were there in the middle of winter, mind you, but uh, I did not notice pigeons. I noticed a lot of people, but I thought that, again, it was the right time of year to celebrate. It's a great place to meet people, Trafalgar Square, in the sense that, oh, well, it's it's a notable landmark. There's quite a bit of space there. And it's just a question of where you meet somebody because, you know, it's one of these areas that if you've got, I don't know, a thousand people or several hundred people uh, and you go to the wrong part of the square, you you may be looking around for a while. But I found we constantly in our time, we probably spent about 10 days in total in London. In that time, we, we were constantly going back to Trafalgar Square. It was very, very central for us. But no, there was no suggestions of pigeons all over the show. No, there was not. Now... We that the following day we headed back to Buckingham Palace to watch the changing of the guard because of course that was the alternate day. Not unexpectedly, there were literally thousands of people taking all vantage points around the palace. A number of troops of guards make their way in and out of the palace gates with a great deal of pomp and ceremony. And bobbies are prominent and ensure that no entrance ways are blocked so that you've got a reasonable vista, which I think is a good idea. We got there. Now, this was rather interesting. We got there at 11.30. Apparently, it started 15 minutes earlier than that, and the whole thing was over by 12.15. So, in other words, it, it lasted an hour, 11.15 to 12.15. Thereafter, and, and again, well worth, worth I mean, very special. I, I was delighted that we, we had the opportunity to see it. Thereafter, we took a 10 to 15-minute walk back to Trafalgar Square, and at 12.45, we caught an Evan Evans coach for a Warner Brothers Harry Potter tour. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I do another podcast called Movies First. Funnily enough, we do. And I, well, are you a Harry Potter fan or not? I loved the books. Uh, I watched the first five movies. I have to watch the last three at some stage, but... I enjoyed the books so much and I found that I got more enjoyment out of the books than the movies, but I am still a fan of the series. Yes, well, I... Look, I'd seen all the movies, but, I mean, look... It, and and it's great. It's been very, very well done, but I, I wouldn't call myself, you know, somebody who's who's a burning Harry Potter sort of man. I, I, I liked the movies. I thought they were very well conceived, but, uh, you know... It, it, anyway, I say that only because... Forget it. Doesn't matter whether you like Harry Potter or not. This is one of the great tours that I have taken. I mean that. Absolutely fantastic. And even if you know virtually nothing about Harry Potter, 
it's a brilliant exhibition of everything to do with the film. The sets, the props, the costumes, the sketches on which they base the sets have all been moved to this purpose-built facility that apparently opened in the year 2012. So it's pretty new and it's very, very good, outstanding. So doesn't matter. If you like movie making, then you should go along and take this tour. And, I, I mean, I just, I found it so well, so professionally done that it it compares so favourably, probably, well, I reckon it would be in the top five or six attractions that I would sort of put on my list of, of things to do if you're sort of travelling outside the city. It's, it's really great. It really is marvellous. And so we, we started this, arrived just after 2.30. As I say, we left at 12.45. We were there until 6 o'clock. So we what, spent a good three and a half hours there. Mm. And we were back in London by 7. So, in other words, it, it, it was quicker going back than it was getting there. We, we caught the underground then again to Waterloo Station and we walked for 10 minutes to the Olivier Theatre, named after Laurence Olivier, one presumes, to catch the final night's performance of National Theatre's The Beautiful Forevers. Now, National Theatre, you actually can get National Theatre live in some cities of Australia, which is live theatre that's been recorded so that others around the world can see what National Theatre puts on. And... The Beautiful Forevers was a two-hour, 50-minute play, including a 20-minute interval, about the conditions faced in the slums of Mumbai, specifically as they, relate to, as they relate to activity around those that collect and sort rubbish for a living. I found it really fascinating, quite disturbing. The performers from the large cast were uniformly excellent. I would highly recommend National Theatre's sort of productions and most, the most notable difference between this theatre production and those in Australia, and I go to Melbourne Theatre Company and, and production companies like that, Sydney Theatre Company, the, the scale of the production, the size of the stage, the elaborate craftsmanship involved in set construction, it, it, is, it is bigger. Everything is on a larger scale. Mm. So I found it really special. National Theatre and National Theatre Live, if you want to catch it, in some Melbourne cities and... Basically, there are short runs of plays that they perform in London. And that's so, the thing about the National Theatre. You never know what you're going to get because it is such that evolving uh, variety of performances. Oh, absolutely. And there's always... there. I saw a few, and I'll, I'll tell you about another one shortly, but I, I've not seen a bad National Theatre production. They are all uniformly brilliant, and I, I love the fact that I saw two, in fact, I saw two nights in a row and, of course, everything was moved. It was seamless. It was, it was as if the Beautiful Forevers had never existed when I saw the next show. And yet the following day you could bring back the Beautiful Forevers again. That's that's the beauty of, of London and size and people, etc., etc. The following morning there's a treadmill at the Montague and I, I, I ran on the treadmill. Then I met the general manager of the hotel Dirk Crocart, and he showed me through the property. Now, it was built in the year 1804, I mentioned, one of six boutique London hotels I mentioned owned by the Red Carnation Group. So the, he showed me through all of this property, and we then caught, after we'd done that, we'd, we'd, we'd looked at the fabrics and, the, and, and again, uh, the, the, the cigar terrace, etc., etc., and the snow-making machine. We, we caught the underground to Victoria Station, and also 
our next hotel, which is part of the Red Carnation, the Rubens on Buckingham Palace Road. Okay, so we arrived just after midday, we dropped our bags, we headed straight back to Trafalgar Square for another tour. This was the Evan Evans Rock and Roll Tour that left at one o'clock and highlighted some of the sites around London that made the 60s swinging. Now, the 60s, well, I know, I mean, we, we were just born then, Chris, weren't we? So we weren't really part of the swinging 60s. Absolutely not. No, but we, we look back on, upon it with fondness. You, and you, you do. I'm a smidgen younger. A smidgen. Okay. <laughs> Give or take a year or two. But look, Beatles fans were satiated in, on our tour when we were driven past Brian Epstein's flat. Ringo Starr's apartment, John and Yoko's first home, even Paul McCartney's current home that he's owned since 1966. And yes, we did get to walk across the famed Abbey Road crossing and get our photograph taken. I did it a few times. Oh, so you caused traffic chaos. I did cause traffic right. chaos. I, th I think the cars are pretty understanding around there. They, they, they know this is a major tourist attraction and always will be. Other notable musos in the spotlight on this rock and roll tour were the likes of Freddie Mercury and Queen, David Bowie, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton and Van Morrison. Not a bad collection of musos. And we had a Belgian tour guide, by the way, who was a fountain of knowledge. Her stories were both engaging and entertaining. And in between her commentary, we were treated to some of the rock anthems of our time by way of a CD that was playing. So nice. it was great. It was really fun. It was, I, I mean, you don't have to be a huge rock and roll fan to appreciate the tour. That's what I also liked about it. So she was great, our tour guide. And we arrived back at Trafalgar Square by 5.30 that afternoon. So... We, we'd sort of, um, yeah, it, it was a, we left at one, got back at 5.30, and again, it was an Evan Evans tour. So they do lots of great tours around London. And we then, we then caught another tube. I mean, tubes are the mainstay, let's be honest. Well, they run every couple of minutes from early in the morning till late at night, and they go to all parts of London, and it's easy to change from one to another as well. Indeed, indeed it is. And so we went back to the Olivier Theatre, for another National Theatre performance, this time of Robert Louis Stevenson's story of murder, money and mutiny, Treasure Island. Ah, and it was even more special because the night we were there, they were filming the show ahead of another filming that was going to be played around the world to, to audiences in cinemas. So it was sort of, they, they did almost a, a dress rehearsal of the, the filming that we could have seen in Australian cinemas well, weeks weeks after we'd seen it live on stage, I thought that was rather special. I had a had a chat to the people filming it as well. So, it's an excellent idea that this whole idea of filming. And in fact, I I heard the other day there's there is now going to be an equivalent, and I think there is an equivalent in Australia where some of the great performances are going to be filmed, and then you're going to be able to see it on stage. And I was invited to a David Williamson play where they've done that. So mm -hmm. it's, ju it's just kicking off in Australia, the equivalent of National Theatre Live. Excellent. And, and look, the excellence of these productions, again, what struck me was the sheer enormity and variation of the sets. Marvellous feat of design and engineering. And that was, if you get the chance to see it, Treasure Island was well worth seeing. Good show for the whole family. So that was our first part of London, Chris. What we were next going to do 
is we, we got up early in the morning, the following morning, we were awake right, by five o'clock, left some of our belongings at the property we were staying at, the Rubens, and we then headed off to Edinburgh. But perhaps we'll save that for the next podcast and we'll concentrate some endeavours on beautiful Edinburgh before going back to London. Uh, indeed, indeed. Alex, it's been great to speak about London and bring back plenty of memories. There is something that I will have to look up and we'll bring it a little bit more detail in the next uh, time we talk about London because there's more to come from there. When you were talking about the Tube before, I'm sure there is an app available and I don't know if you can buy it before you come, but if you have a mm -hmm. smartphone, there is an app available that actually tells you if you're travelling around London via the Tube, which carriage to get on at oh. in order to be near to... The interchange, if you're changing lines, if you're changing from, I don't know, the Jubilee line to the King's Cross line, I don't know if they cross, mm -hmm. uh, or from the Victoria line to the District line or whatever, and what station you're going to change at, it tells you where to get. So so you don't have to, especially if you don't like being in busy crowds, and let's face it, the Tube is busy a lot of the time. If mm -hmm. you only want to spend a short time going from one train to another without having to fight through a crowd from one end of a platform to another, it's, it's a marvellous app. I just can't remember whether it's available worldwide or whether you have to be in London. I promise I will look that up, and next time we talk London, I will have the, some details on that. Excellent. And one thing you can do in London is you can get the London Pass, which is sort of access to all of London's transport networks, the underground or the tube, the buses, the, the Docklands light rail and the overground trains as well. And you, you can you can get a, a card, this travel card, which comes preloaded with a, with a value as well to match your London Pass. So... That's something worth going on to. If you want to have a look at that, you can sort of just Google London Underground Prices or LondonPass.com. That's probably your best way, LondonPass.com. And again, I was delighted that we'd organised a lot of this stuff through creative holidays in Australia. And then, of course, I, I mentioned that you know, if you go to VisitLondon.com, you've got wonderful ways and means of, of doing things, and it, it, it shows you what you want to see and, and do and and it gives you great ideas they're wonderful itineraries and all all sorts of things just spend a little bit of time do your research but visit london.com is the place to go and do that you can also get your london pass there you can there we go alex first always good to talk travel always good to talk anything with you we will talk more about london down the track we'll talk about edinburgh and other places as travel first continues it's wonderful odyssey on the world wide web catch you again soon Good on you. Catch you later, Chris. Bye. You've been listening to Travel First. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.